Let's turn our Bibles this evening to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to note here Wednesday evening, I don't know the extent of this, but we're going to take a look at the Word of God. Uh, We've been reading in the 119th Psalm, which is about God's Word. And, And as we sit down, and I've never read it, in the fashion in which we're reading it now, uh, the eight verses a day, and, and thinking about it, meditating upon it, and just you read it and you go, wow. And, and things leap off the page, and you turn out and read it again. We read two sections recently, just the same section day, and, and then because of my misprint. Uh, but you read those two, and different things left off the page each day. But you read about God's Word. And. I'm not a big fan of talking about God's Word or preaching about God's Word. I'd rather preach the Word than preach about it. But there are times when we do need to preach about it. And so that and with our invitation to come down to Peru and, 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 conduct, and preach and then conduct the seminar for the preachers and, and it's on uh, preaching that changes lives and you, you read that and And just our hearts and minds, it seems God has been directing toward His Word as of late. So we want to look here this evening, and again, not sure if this will be an in-depth study or how long it will take, but we want to look tonight at the Word of God. The Word of God. Excuse me. And I want to read chapter 3 and verse... uh, 15, 16, and and 17, and really need to look at uh, verse 14. Ultimately, you need to read the whole chapter, then you need to read the whole book. But we'll we'll really look here, if you would. Let's start at verse 14, if you would. Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And I, I think that here, and I believe that there's a reference here unto Timothy's grandmother and mother. Uh, his grandmother and mother. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 14, but I want you to notice that I also believe that he learned these things from the Lord. He learned them from the Lord. And I believe that it's true because it says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. You know, we can't be assured of something really unless it comes from God. I mean, our parents tell us things, but it doesn't make it so. We hope that it would, but it doesn't always. You know, and the kids ask me some things and sometimes I, I don't know the answer and I'll tell them something outlandish. And I kind of have a chuckle within myself. And my wife will say, really? As well, it makes sense. Kind of like when they ask where chocolate milk comes. And I said, it comes from the brown cows. But we know that's not true. But it's funny. But you look here and it tells us, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. What a blessed privilege it is if you've known the Holy Scriptures from a child or from your childhood. 
which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And why is that? Because the Scriptures speak of Christ. They speak of Christ. They speak of Christ to the lost and they speak of Christ to the saved. Just as we noted Sunday morning in the 11 o'clock hour that the entirety of the Scriptures is always look unto me or look unto the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 16, it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we know that the Greek literally tells us that it's God-breathed. It is the breath of God. It is that which God speaks. It's interesting that uh, our, 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 everything that's created is called the universe. And, and as I understand, that means one verse. God spoke and it came into existence. I'm surprised the I'm surprised the uh, atheists and whatnot are still using that word universe, but they do, don't they? But it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, or perf- perfected as it, as it can be, or complete, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And you've heard me say before that when God saves us, we are perfected in Christ Jesus. That's our standing. But then you have this thing over here that this is your walk. And it's kind of like sanctification. The Bible speaks of an instantaneous sanctification. When God saves you, He takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and translates you into the kingdom of His dear Son, never to be translated out. That is done instantly, and it is forever. That's your standing. And that's unchangeable. We thank God for that. But there's another thing called a walk, isn't there? And that walk needs to be one that grows. Just like our sanctification. We have a sanctification, if you would, from left to right, but then there ought to be an upward sanctification. There ought to be a progressive sanctification, I think, is one of the familiar theologian terms. I think... Uh, T.P. Simmons uses that terminology as well. And it's a good one. There's nothing wrong with it. Sadly, so many are very little concerned about the progressive or upward sanctification that it makes you wonder if they have the instantaneous sanctification. But the Bible tells us here that the Word of God is profitable for those things, for the purpose that the man of God, not the minister of God, but the man of God, the man who saved, may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto what? All good works. So the Bible, the Word of God, is it's invaluable, isn't it? So we want to look this evening about the Word of God. And here's some introductory thoughts. We believe that the Bible is God's infallible Word. It is without error. 
The Bible is the account of God revealing Himself to man. You realize that we would not know where we come from and what our purpose is apart from the Scriptures. That's one thing that that you know the the atheists and the evolutionists they have no idea. Well, then if we did come from pond scum, then what's our purpose? They can't answer that, can they? Because it certainly can't be to live, have all the fun you want, get rich and die. That's not really a purpose, is it? But the purpose is to glorify God. That's the purpose of which we were created for. You can read that in God's Word. Look over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And then there are other verses pertaining to this, but Colossians chapter 1 states this very, very clearly. In verse 16, Colossians chapter 1. In verse 16 it says, For by Him, that is, by Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him, and now notice these three words, and for Him. Whether they're lost or saved, Chosen or passed by. They were created by Him and they were created for Him. And that's not just people, that's everything, isn't it? I mean, we are literally stewards of everything, aren't we? There's nothing without exception to this. And so the Bible teaches us that it is God's account of revealing Himself to man. It is God's own record of His dealings with men. One writer stated this. He said it is God's own record of His dealings with men and His unfolding revelation of Himself to the human race. The revealed will of the, uh, of the Creator of man given to man by the Creator Himself for instruction and guidance in the ways of life. And boy, because we've departed from this, we have all manner of issues, don't we? The Scriptures, if you'll turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 29, Deuteronomy chapter 29, and when we refer unto the Word of God, the Scriptures are that which the Lord would have us to know. And, and this was wonderful as we were sitting there in, in, in the homeschool convention this past May over uh, Memorial Day weekend. And we were sitting there and we were listening in, uh, to different instructors, different other homeschoolers and, and keynote speakers and, and different things. And they were... This year it was just this constant theme for myself and for my wife. It seemed like the Lord was trying to get a hold of us. or I, I shouldn't say trying. God doesn't really try. But you understand what I mean. But it was the constant theme was this to us. That if your kids don't know math, 
and they don't know science, and they don't know art, and they don't get to do all these extracurricular activities, they need to know what God's Word says. And they need to know grace. And they need to know Jesus Christ that God might save them. And as I began to hear all these things, it has uh, uh, affected me immensely. It just re- reiterated several things for me or, or reinforced them, if you would, for me. But I began to think about, and I says, how true that is. They're going to become what God would have them to. It's my duty to instill in them the Word of God. And God uses means, doesn't He? Notice what he said in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. He says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed, that is the Word of God, it's been revealed. The things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. See, this is what God has done. He's revealed things unto us. And the more and more that I study, and in really our Sunday school hour, uh, where we're going through and examining the Lord, you just want to embrace His Word more and more. And the more you know God and experience Him, and you begin in His attributes and His essence and who He is, and His grace and His long-suffering and His mercy, and the more it becomes real and more real to you, the more... You run to Him. There are Psalms now. We've been reading through the Psalms now, the different books, and, and, and I read through them now differently than I ever have before. They, they make more sense to me. I stop and stand in awe, and I go, I've experienced what David experienced. I've experienced what Asaph experienced. I, I understand I have a personal experience of Christ going through this. And it makes it really, really real, doesn't it? This book talks all about me. God reveals things to me that I didn't even know about myself. But it is God's revelation. Now, first of all, we'd like to know that the Bible is God's Word. It is God's Word or God's words, but I think word is sufficient because this is really all one word, isn't it? It all uh, comes together. There's no division as far as God is concerned. The Bible says in our text of 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Again, that means that it's God-breathed. Yes, God employed men in the writing of the Scriptures. We affirm this. But these original thoughts originated with God Himself. These are not the thoughts of Moses. These are not the thoughts of... These were great men. But they didn't think of these things. You know, we marvel at different documents today and it's, it's kind of amazing. You'll see people will, will marvel. They'll look at the Constitution. They'll look at the Declaration of Independence. Those are great documents. I would, never would have thought of any of that. 
But you look over and you'll see people have, they'll have different Bibles that were printed way back when and different things and they'll, they'll put them in cases and they'll say, oh, isn't this great? I'm like, you can buy the same thing for 40 bucks or even a dollar at the dollar store. But it has a value that money can't be placed on because it is God's words to us. The Bible tells us in the scriptures that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. T.P. Simmons stated that it was that they were they were moved or they were borne along by the Holy Spirit. And you know, oftentimes I'll read in the Old Testament and I'll wonder when they speak about prophecies and, and we, we studied uh, there in Isaiah 53 about where it said, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And I, I remember, and I think, I wonder if Isaiah really knew what he was writing about. I know he knew the Christ, but I wonder if he understood. Because the eunuch, he didn't see it. You and I look at that, and even as a lost person, we look at that and go, oh, well, that's Jesus. We have that head knowledge. But they were born along by the Holy Spirit and in a way, in a fashion that not, not that others were, and not to this extent, but no, they weren't, no other book was written like this book. Others were not moved or borne along by the Spirit. One writer stated, God accomplished the miracle of inspiration by providentially preparing the writers for their work and by so revealing His truth to them and so enabling, guiding, and superintending them and the recording of it as to give us, through them, an exact and complete transmission of all that He was pleased to reveal. You read the book of Jeremiah, it's exactly what God wanted Jeremiah to write. You say, how can you believe that? How can I not believe that? How can you not believe it? I am told that and I have the book in my study, and I, I know exactly where it's at. I wish I'd have brought it out so I could read it to you. Exactly what I said. But the, the probability of all of these prophecies about the Christ being fulfilled, you have a greater probability of Texas being filled with quarters so many feet deep and you picking out a marked quarter than these prophecies being fulfilled by one person. And that's something. But it's God's Word. I like how the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians. I believe it is. 2 Thessalonians. No, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I think that this is one of the keys to being a student of the Scriptures, to being a minister of God, to being a child of God, to being a a parent as a child of God, to being a church member, to being anyone who's saved, or if you're going to be saved, this is the key. That you have to understand that this 
is the Word of God. You know why we struggle as children of God? Because we see and read what God says, but we don't really think He meant it. We're like little kids whose parents told us to do something and we don't do it and then we go, well, I didn't think you really meant it. 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Notice this. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, you received it of us or you heard of us, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believeth. We need to receive this word just like Moses did on Mount Sinai. Remember how terrified the people were. Remember how he came down and they said, Oh no, you speak to God for us and you tell us what God says. We don't want anything to do with it. Today we read God's Word and we go, Meh. I mean, we, we, just, we don't take it as the Word of the Almighty. The word of this majestic and holy and righteous being. When the minister of God is preaching, whether we like it or not, whether we agree to it or not, when the word of God is declared and when it is uh, expounded and explained, not interpreted, but when it is preached, Wow, to hold that in the same regard as God Himself speaking. Again, I'm not, we're not, we don't believe like the Catholic Church does that, you know, we are infallible in God's men and all that they do. But we ought to take it as this is God's Word. That's a problem in the Lord's churches today. I mean, this isn't some rah-rah speech we get up to give four times a week. Men of God are handling the Word of God. It's an awe-inspiring thing. And there ought to be a reverence for the Word of God. And you can't have reverence for God's Word and treat it the way that we often do. You know, if we received something or an ambassador showed up from some king or something, he says, I've got some news and this comes from king so-and-so from such-and-such a place. Boy, I tell you what, we'd be all puffed up and all... Boy, we'd pay attention, wouldn't we? I don't know, some people might not. But how come we don't receive the word of the king of kings? with such high regard. Why is that? We ought to. Secondly, the Bible is the only thing that God speaks by today. 
And if that's the only way God's communicating, shouldn't we be in it more? Shouldn't we cherish it more? And I know that you're familiar with what Hebrews states about how Hebrews chapter 1, how that God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past from the fathers by the prophets. And we know He appeared in visions and we know that that you know all the and he spoke by the prophets, but then the Bible says, "Hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds." You know, God's not speaking in dreams anymore, is he? And you know, there's times when when things will come to my mind or things will come to my heart. Well, you always have to verify that with God's word, don't you? Because people say, well, well, the Lord brought this to my heart and brought it to my mind. He goes, no, He didn't. That's not biblical. The Lord will not bring that which is contrary to His Word to our minds. The Holy Spirit will not speak to our spirit that which is unbiblical. No, God speaks through His Word. The Scriptures make it clear that the Bible is how the Lord communicates unto this world. Now again, and we said earlier in the, in the announcements, but we've, we've studied the book of James. We have gone through Hebrews 11. We're examining the Lord. And we're in the book of Job now. And, and just, just think how much of what we have recently studied and you down through your being saved when the church that you were a member of and God's Word was being preached, how much did the Lord apply that in your life as you were going through those studies? It's God speaking to you. Maybe it wasn't while you're going through those studies, but maybe sometime later something was happening and the Lord again, brought to your mind. He says, well, wait a minute. I read about that or it got preached about. And we said, ah, yes. Ah, yes. You know, we've had a lot of things that have transpired and happened and we don't understand them all. And, and, and as, as the church, as the family, as, at work even. And again, I, my boss is wonderful. We have a wonderful time together. We talk scriptures. Don't always agree on what they mean. But we talk a lot about scriptures. We understand God's providence and sovereignty over things. And I tell you, there's a great peace in that. That God speaks through His Word. These words are assuring unto His people. Thirdly, I'd like you to note the authority of the Bible. The authority of the Bible. You know, we use a phrase. There, there's a phrase that it's big among, among the reformers. I, I never heard it until I got into Kansas and, and began to deal with these sovereign grace people. And, and just to reiterate, I grew up 
The church that dad pastored was called Sovereign Grace Missionary Baptist Church. And I asked a, a pastor, fellow pastor, when I was pastoring in Kansas, when did they drop the missionary and the Baptist and the church and just say Sovereign Grace? He goes, well, years ago, one preacher in one church used to have this big, huge Bible conference and it seemed to always be about Sovereign Grace. He said it really drove a lot of these things home. I says, well, I hope people remember that God is as much missionary as He is sovereign. Do we understand that? That, that He is the first and greatest missionary, isn't He? He went into the garden and preached unto Adam and Eve. He left His Father's throne and He forsook all. And He was rich and became poor. That through His poverty we might become rich. He traveled the farthest distance a missionary ever traveled, didn't He? And He faced all the great calamities and rejections a missionary or anybody ever faces. You see, He's as much a missionary as He is sovereign. Why do we focus on one and not the other. We ought to focus on them both equally. Because they go hand in hand. But you look here at the phrase that I've heard amongst these uh, pretty much reformers. I, I would say it's a big phrase among reformers is, is sola scriptura, scriptura, meaning only the scriptures. Well, I don't think they know what they're talking about because if they really only went by the scriptures... Because they're basically saying, well, we don't go by the things that the Church of Rome went by, their, their councils and all those things. We only go by the Scriptures. If they only went by the Scriptures, they'd be Baptists. It's, it's that simple. You cannot only go by the Scriptures and not be a Baptist. But this is that phrase. But the phrase that I always heard growing up was this. That the Bible is our sole rule of faith and practice. That was the phrase. But you know the way it was used in our home, and we didn't always live up to it. But the way it was used by Dad, and I, I as a pastor, but the way he used it, it wasn't just, it's our sole rule of faith and practice as a church. No, it was our sole rule of faith and practice for everything. This was how our home was. This was how this was how this was. This was, you know, when Nate, you're really good at sports. And the traveling all-star calls and they said, we want him to be on the traveling all-stars. He can catch, he can throw, he can hit. He can do it all. He can pitch. We really want him. And dad says, no. They said, how come? He says, because we're not going down to Toledo, Ohio on Sunday. We're going to church. They said, well, he can just be there Friday and Saturday. You can go home Saturday and, and then be to church on Sunday. He says, we're not going to kill ourselves Friday and Saturday and walk into the house and worship God all dead tired. Because the Bible is our sole rule of faith and practice. And, and I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not bragging. I don't mean the same braggart fashion. 
But it was to the point that when I was interviewed, you have to have a psych evaluation when you go into law enforcement. And if you ever drive a semi-truck and you you want to get certain certificates, you have to have certain uh, psych evaluations too. But we went in there to talk to the, the, the psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever he was, and he says, well, tell me about your upbringing. What, what, what kind of upbringing did you have? And I said, I don't really understand the question. And he says, well, well, my family's Polish. We had a traditional Polish upbringing. We, there were these foods that we ate and certain family th- events that you got together with and, and you had th- these dishes and the holidays were celebrated with a traditional Polish sense. And he says, he says, do you understand what I'm asking? I says, yes. He says, okay, what kind of upbringing did you have? I said, biblical. I said, I had a biblical upbringing. I had a biblical Baptist upbringing. He said, in all the 27 years of doing this, I've never heard that answer. I said, and that's what's wrong with society today. People are not having biblical upbringings. Because they do not recognize the authority of the Word of God over their lives. This is not a, well, if it's, if it's not inconvenient, then we'll submit to God's Word. It's a, this is God telling you what you're going to do. That's what it is. To the point that you don't work on the Lord's Day. Or you don't miss services to work on the Lord's Day. That you turn down jobs with better pay because they require you to work and miss the Lord's house. That you don't go on a vacation here or there even though it's all expenses paid. Because you'll miss worshiping the Lord. That you don't eat and have the world's best steak there ever was. Because if you went into that restaurant, it might hurt your testimony. Because they got a big giant beer sign on the outside of the door. And it doesn't make you regret. Because you're operating under the authority of of the scriptures. Because they are authoritative. The Bible is not a book of suggestions. You know, we often say, well, this is the authorized version. Well, I, I don't know much about I don't know who authorized it. But I can tell you this. The Bible in and of itself was authorized by God. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3 says that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And that's not a direct quote, but God has given us His Word to govern any and all, now listen to this, any and all human thought, any and all human deeds, any and all human words. 
There's not one thing that God's Word does not govern. Not one thing. It's taking care of it all. It's that authoritative. There is no subject that we could come up with that God's Word is not authoritative over. Not one. And not submitting to the authority of God's Word always brings about sin. Always. And then last of all, and let me back up here about the authority of God's Word. You know what the early church did when they had an issue in the church? Remember what happened when the issue of circumcision came up? What they do? They went to the Word of God. That's what they did. And remember how James stuff, and he said, listen, Moses, and he says, they couldn't even keep the law. Said it's clear that circumcision is neither this nor that. It doesn't pertain to salvation. They went to the authority of God's word. I hope that in the, my time here already, and in, in, in the time that the Lord would have me to be here, is that we walk away this church that that we we take from at least my ministry that this this one thing above all things. Is, is that we need to look to the Scriptures. We need to look to the Lord. We can't go by our thoughts or feelings or how it's been done before or ever. We have to go by what God's Word says. That, that's, that's, that's key. And if we want unity in the church, that's what we have to do. Is We all have to submit to the authority of God's Word. And, and when any of us don't do that, you know, we're causing a disturbance in the unity of the church. You know, it's not stubbornness or pride or whatever you want to call it to say this is what God's Word says and this is what we need to do. That's actually very submissive. It's submissive unto God. And that's what we need to have. You and I as husbands... The heads of house, we have to go by the authority of God's word when we run our homes. Mothers, mothers, as they govern, and wives, as they tend to the work God has given them, they have to go by the authority of God's word. Children as well. And when you go by the authority of God's word, you have great protection, don't you? Great protection. So you get outside of the Word of God, there is no protection. There's none. But in it, oh, there's great protection. Fourthly and last of all, the Bible interprets itself. The Bible interprets itself. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first, isn't that interesting how he put that, knowing this first. That no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. And that's something. Knowing this first. You ever hear somebody say, or they'll say, well, this is what it means to me. I don't care what it means to you. And you and I ought not to care what it means to them. We ought to care 
what God said it meant. There used to be a saying years ago, and I've seen magnets and stickers of it, and it'd say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, whether or not you believe it, it's already settled because God said it. And there's a lot of things we don't believe, but it's settled, isn't it? The Bible says that His Word is forever settled in heaven. In the, in the Psalms. But the Bible makes it clear that it must be interpreted with other Scriptures. What did they do? What, what did Peter do when he preached on Pentecost? He said, listen, they're not drunk. Don't you remember what Joel prophesied of? What Peter do and what the church do, even before the day of Pentecost, when they 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 had they only had uh, 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 eleven of them. What did he do? He said, "Listen, the Scripture says what that Judas would do, what he would do, and there's another who's supposed to take his bishopric." See, they look to the Scriptures. And they interpreted the Scriptures. They interpreted their experiences by the Scriptures, didn't they? If somebody were to say, well, what's going on? What, what, what happened with Judas? So, well, Scripture tells us what happened with Judas. This is what happened. But the Bible interprets itself. Isaiah 28.10 says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. I've found so often that what one verse says, you'll find what it means in another passage of Scripture uh, a farther away. And it seems to me the more I study the Word of God, for every Old Testament verse, there's a corresponding New Testament verse. For every New Testament verse, there's a corresponding Old Testament verse that says the same thing. Same thing. Oh, God's Word interprets itself. I don't even know what it means to you. You don't even know what it means to me. I've heard people say, well, they're talking about some particular thing that God's Word says, and they'll say, well, for me to do it, or for me not to do it, it would be a sin. Well, if it's a sin for you to do it, then wouldn't it be a sin for everybody to do it? And if it's not a sin for you to do it, wouldn't it be not a sin for everybody to do it? Kind of like when I made the statement, I says, you know, if the qualifications of a bishop... You know, they're written everywhere else about just God's people in general. Isn't that something? I mean, there's all these are qualifications of a bishop. Every one of them, you can find it, some other scripture about someone, just a child of God in general. Everyone. Are are we all told we're supposed to be hospitable? Are we all told that we're supposed to raise our children in a certain way? Have them under subjection with all gravity? I mean, if we're married, aren't we to be the husband of one wife and not 57? I mean, isn't in, in that what, what Scripture teaches? Everywhere for everyone? Shouldn't we all be blameless? Not sinless, blameless. Shouldn't we all be not brawlers? 
You see, the scripture interprets itself. When we say that scripture interprets itself, we have to understand that we have to seek the Lord's leadership in understanding God's word. Has to be done in light of other scriptures. No verse will contradict itself. No verse will contradict another verse. I had one fellow he asked me years ago, he says, You know, if the Old Testament says something, the New Testament says something else, shouldn't we go by the New Testament? I says, Well, first of all, I says, That's, a, that's an impossibility because they say the same thing. He said, well, well, what about, you know, the old infamous, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I goes, and who God say that to? That, that was a national law for Israel. That was not for an individual to deal with. That was something to be done by the judges in an open, an open court, if you would. Again, the context. We have to look at the context of things. It wasn't talking about vigilante justice. Things were to be done openly before judges and magistrates and things of, and the high priest and the priest and all that. They had courts right there at the gates of the cities. Yeah, they had strict laws. But it wasn't vigilantes. Things had to be done openly. Bible interprets itself so that there is no private interpretation of God's Word. And I think that that's part of the authority of the Bible. Brother Gordon Downs made this statement to me once. He says, you can be right or I can be right, but we both can't be right if we're in disagreement. But we can both be wrong. Isn't that, isn't that something? Neither one of us might have a clue. But I'll tell you this. The more and more in our study about ministerial questionnaire, the more we go over that, and, and I, I, I like to re-examine what I believe. Not that I doubt God. But I like to re-examine it. And the more we've gone over the ministerial questions and those things that we've thought, the more I say, oh, we are sure. We have a more sure word of prophecy, don't we? Don't you just find those things to be true? And not just, oh, yep, I'm glad I believe that, or yep, what I believe is in the Bible, but it just, it seems to be sweeter, doesn't it? And it seems to just give you more peace and more assurance in the person of God. And then it just you're just grateful that God revealed the truth to you. Because we talk to folks and there's some things out there in there. There's some things way out in left field. But the authority of the Bible, the, the, again, these four things, the, the Bible is God's Word. It's the only thing by which God speaks today. The authority of the Bible, the Bible interprets itself. And you know, if we understand those four things, we got a really good foundation, don't we? About the Word of God. 
And if you do understand those four things, you ought to just cry out to God and say thank you. Because not everybody does. Religious people don't. There's preachers who don't understand these things. And they're very basic. And we, again, we ought to thank God. And I'm so grateful that Christ Jesus revealed these things to my life. And you know, He keeps revealing them, not because we're such good people, and not because we just sit there and mine out the Scriptures and just just pray and, and all of these things. I tell you, He just reveals things, doesn't He? You might read a passage of Scripture a thousand times and then the thousand and one time you go, oh, there it is. Or you might go, it's still Greek or Hebrew to me. But I'm under its authority. I don't know what it says, but I'm under its authority. So may God help us. Let's close with